0: Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church Georgetown, the podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. How many of you guys have your thinking caps on this morning? Whatever those are. Okay. How many of you need some more coffee before you can even think about a thinking cap? All right. You need to track with me today. Uh, Each of these truths, they're going to build on each other. By the end, we're going to have a cogent argument. Don't check out on me or make assumptions until we get to the very end. All right. I like to throw curveballs at you. Last week, I started with a little kid's toy, a jack-in-the-box. And today, we're going to start with a pretty profound, deep quote. And this is from a theologian-slash-philosopher-slash-mathematician. His name is Blaise Pascal. You may have heard of him. If you ever read some of his stuff, he's a brilliant, brilliant Christian. All right, so this is what he said many, many years ago. He said, all men seek pleasure. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Hmm. Now, let me start with this. What drives you in life? Like what brings you pleasure, satisfaction, peace, joy, delight? Pascal said that as sure as gravity is a law of nature, so it's the law of the human heart to pursue pleasure. Now, we may have differing notions of what this word pleasure means, so let me clarify this from the get-go. Webster's Dictionary defines pleasure as being pleased, enjoyment, or the root word to that would be joy, delight, or satisfaction. Okay, based on that definition... Pleasure is something that happens inside of a person. It's an internal state of being. And unlike happiness, it's not dependent upon external circumstances. So what we're really all looking for in life is an internal sense of joy and peace and satisfaction. That is what truly delights us. And the question we have to ask up front in this whole series about rewards and how God motivates us is this question. Is this universal drive to pursue pleasure selfish and sinful, or did God put that in our hearts? And I'm going to submit to you that the Bible teaches us that God placed it in our hearts to pursue pleasure, that it's His desire to seek after that which will bring us joy, peace, and satisfaction in life. Now, there are those who are convinced that the Christian life has little to do with being pleased, and that our service to God is primarily one of duty and obedience. And I want to challenge that line of thinking this morning with a simple statement. And here it is. It is not seeking pleasure in life that causes us problems. It is where we seek our pleasure. It's not seeking pleasure in life that causes us problems. It's where we seek that pleasure. The problem is the fact that we're trying to find this pleasure apart from God in things that He never intended for us. But seeking joy, pursuing pleasure is not the problem. You know, I remember as a boy, lazy summer days with little to do, and it was just instinctive for me to want to go out and fill up those days with things that would bring me enjoyment. And there were times when I did stuff that was good, and it was wholesome, and I enjoyed myself in the process. And then there were other times when I was not the, the perfect angel that I am today, okay? I got myself a little bit of trouble, but I thought about it. In both cases, my desire was still the same. Like to find enjoyment, but it was the way I went about fulfilling that desire that sometimes got me into trouble. You see, this desire for pleasure is not the problem, it's how we choose to fulfill that. We all seek joy in life. The question we got to ask is where is God in our pursuit of pleasure? In 1 Timothy 6:17, Paul instructs us to put our hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, and catch this, for our enjoyment. Is God concerned with our pleasure? Absolutely. It says right here that He richly provides for our enjoyment. And that brings me to my first point today. God created us to pursue pleasure. We just have to ask ourselves, where's God? Where is God in this pursuit of pleasure? For example, the desire for food is a good desire. Gluttony is not. The desire for sex is God-given. It's a good desire. Fulfilling that outside of marriage is not. You see, it's the way we seek and choose to fulfill our desires that makes all the difference between God-centered enjoyment and self-focused sin. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, and I quote him a lot. You may have heard this quote before, but it's very apropos here. He made this powerful remark. If there lurks in our minds the notion that to desire our own good and enjoyment is a bad thing, I submit to you that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Wow, we are far too easily pleased. By nature, we seek our own good, our own enjoyment. The problem is we often substitute these good rewards that God wants for us for the cheap imitations of this world. Someone once said this, you're only going to do what God wants you to do if you believe God pays better dividends than the world pays. Nobody's going to do something for nothing. We're always going to gravitate toward that we, what we believe is going to pay us the greatest dividends. You want some good news? God promises <laughs> to pay the highest dividends for your investment. In fact, later on in this series, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, an amazing passage of Scripture, where Jesus promises a hundred-time payback for your good works here on earth. 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. What does that mean? No matter how great you think it'll be one day in heaven, your mind hasn't even scratched the surface of the pleasures and the grandeur that awaits you there. And God must be amazed at how we substitute the mud pies of this world for the infinite joy He offers. All right. so I'm making this point that God wired us to pursue pleasure but I need a disclaimer, a few disclaimers here. All right, let me clarify a few things. First of all, people, pursuing pleasure is not the same as having fun. It's not the same thing. Pursuing pleasure is not the same as having fun. Like, I'm not talking about doing whatever feels good in the moment. Often, we have to sacrifice what is more fun, what is easier in the short term, to get greater satisfaction in the long run. But the reason we deny ourselves is because ultimately we're still looking for that which will bring us the greater reward. We're still trying to pursue pleasure, if you will. Like Pascal said, even the person who hangs himself is pursuing pleasure. How does that work? Well, he wants to find peace from his pain. And he's betting that the pain of hanging himself will be worth the pleasure of being free from his suffering in life. So pursuing pleasure is not the same as having fun. Second, pursuing pleasure is not the same thing as pursuing happiness. Okay, we have to distinguish these terms. Sometimes they they get, you know, kind of used interchangeably. But the word happiness comes from the term happenstance. And it's based on your circumstances, what happens to you. Technically, happiness is external. And while we may desire happiness... God never guarantees that we're going to like our external circumstances this side of heaven. But being pleased, that's an internal state of being, independent of circumstances. And God says you can always, always, always find joy in Him. right, third, pursuing pleasure requires discipline and self-sacrifice. You know, as Christians, we're called to discipline ourselves, to deny ourselves certain pleasures in life. But the reason we do that is because we're looking ultimately for greater fulfillment in God. So for example, I may deny myself the pleasure of watching a football game to go and help a friend move. But ultimately, I'll end up with a greater sense of joy and peace and satisfaction because I help the brother in need. And the Bible says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. In fact, the Bible says that it's in giving that we receive. So you need to understand God isn't some killjoy who just wants us to deny ourselves pleasure. He wants us to pursue the greater pleasures, the greater rewards. So I want you to think about a few passages here where God encourages us to seek the greater pleasures, the greater rewards. First of all, there's Hebrews 12. Over in Hebrews 12, God says the reason that Moses gave up the treasures and the pleasures of Pharaoh's palace is because he was looking ahead to his reward. See, he was looking ahead. He had lots to look forward to there in Egypt if he wanted to. But instead, he was looking ahead to a greater reward. And did you know that even Jesus sought reward as his motivation? The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross by focusing on the joy set before Him. Yeah, He was looking ahead to the pleasure of being reunited with His Father again. And then finally, take a look at Hebrews 11.6. It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He what? Say that word with me. Rewards. That He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. It's interesting. According to this verse, It's impossible for you to even please God unless you believe that He is a rewarder. So if this desire inside of us to seek the greater pleasures in life is somehow selfish or sinful or evil, why would God encourage it? Well, He wouldn't. God would never encourage our sinful nature. So God wired us to seek the greater rewards, the greater pleasure, but He calls us to fulfill that desire within His will never outside His will. And so we need to steer clear of worldly pleasures. That's my second point. People, worldly pleasure is fleeting and will not fulfill. Worldly pleasures, those are those mud pies that many people, Christians and non-Christians alike, settle for in life. They're the cheap imitations that seek to satisfy that longing, but really don't. They pretend to satisfy that longing. They try to fill that void inside of us, but they don't fulfill. So in the book of Ecclesiastes, right, through the life of Solomon, I think God has given us a real-life demonstration of the futility of seeking after worldly pleasures to try and find joy, try and find peace, to try and find pleasure and satisfaction. And in Ecclesiastes 2.1, Solomon lays out his purpose statement. He says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. Right, Solomon says, I'm going to try everything this world has to offer. And he does. In verse 2, he tries laughter. Okay? He surrounds himself with the funniest comedians of his day, Jimmy Fallon, in his living room. All right? Verse 3, he turns to drinking. He throws one party after another, after another. I'm sure he got plenty inebriated. All right. In verse 4, he becomes consumed in work accomplishments. He said, man, I'm just going to be a workaholic. I'm going to get achievement. I'm going to get success. I'm going to try that. In verse 7, he flips it around. He tries the opposite. He hires servants to be at his beck and call. He tries relaxing idleness. In verse 8, he amasses incredible wealth. You know, some have estimated that Solomon's assets would total up to trillions and trillions of dollars in today's market. Like he would dwarf Elon Musk, okay? tons of wealth. In verse 8, he acquires the best entertainers. He brings Hollywood into his home, so to speak. In verse 8, he also turns to sex as a means of pleasure. 700 wives and 300 concubines. Yeah, there's a lot I could say right now, but most of it would get me into trouble. So enough said. Anyways, okay. In verse 12, he even tries to indulge in wisdom and intellectual pursuits. He covers the gamut here. Verse 10 pretty much sums it all up. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired, I refused my heart no pleasure. And Solomon was the happiest, most joyful, fulfilled man who ever walked on planet Earth, right? Now, guess again. No need to guess. Look at verse 17. Solomon cries out, so I hated life. I hated life. His summary of everything he had done from the pursuit of wisdom to the overindulgence in wine and women was this, meaningless. Meaningless. Some of your translations say vanity, foolishness. But that phrase, meaningless, is used 35 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And folks, no individual today will ever have the combination of wisdom and power and wealth and influence that Solomon attained. And I believe God allowed him to have all that as a demonstration to us of the futility of seeking after worldly pleasure, thinking that's going to fulfill. It won't fulfill you. It won't meet the deepest hunger of your soul. So John Piper in his book Desiring God says this. He said the world has an inconsolable longing. Tries to satisfy the longing with scenic vacations, accomplishments of creativity, stunning cinematic productions, sexual exploits, sports extravaganzas, hallucinogenic jug- drugs, ascetic rigors, managerial excellence, etc., etc., etc. But the longing remains. and Then he asked this question, what does this mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that we're searching for something that won't be found apart from God and His pleasures, His rewards. C.S. Lewis said this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Which brings me to my third point. Lasting pleasure is found only in God. People, this is the biggest point I'm making this morning. The deepest and most enduring joy and pleasure is found only in God, not from God, not from God, but in God. Here's the key to everything I'm saying today. Our quest is not merely joy. It is joy in God. Our quest is not simply pleasure, it is finding pleasure in God. God is the end of your search for pleasure, not the means to some other end. And if we try to use God like a holy vending machine to give us stuff that'll please us, it won't work. Because that which ultimately fulfills the deep longing in our hearts is none other than God himself. Our exceeding joy is the Lord not the streets of gold, not the reunion with relatives, not any other blessing in heaven. Those things are all good, but they're just the icing on the cake. And guess what? Our friend Solomon came to this exact same conclusion in Ecclesiastes 2, 24 to 25. Check this out. He said, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. And here it comes, people. For without him, for without God, who can eat or find enjoyment? Interesting. I mean, Solomon acknowledges that there's pleasure in eating and in working and in playing, but apart from God, those things won't satisfy your deepest longings. It's been said that there's an infinite abyss inside of us that can only be filled by an infinite God. And when we finally recognize that and seek our pleasure in Him, then we can eat and we can drink and we can find enjoyment in Him. Now, part of that joy happens here on earth, but a big part of this whole package of joy and pleasure awaits us in heaven. And that's by God's design. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He, that would be God, has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Why? Well, to fill us with a longing, with a restlessness even. People, there will always be a certain groaning inside of you, a certain longing inside of you. And that, my friends, is heaven. And it's there so that we'll set our affections on God, on eternal things, so that we'll seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Now, having said that, it brings up an important question some may say, well, shouldn't we just reserve our joy and pleasure for heaven? You know, way too many Christians go through life with the mistaken notion that joy is reserved for heaven and that God calls them to just walk somberly through life and obey the rules. Hey, nothing could be further from the truth. I like what my brother Chuck Swindoll once said. He's great at painting word pictures, if you didn't know. Chuck Swindoll said this, there are way too many followers of Jesus walking through this life, looking like they were baptized in lemon juice. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Let me ask you a question. What if God were to come down right now, right here? What if God were to come down from heaven and command joy from you? Like, how would you respond to that? Would that be tough for you? That was a trick question because he already has. Check out Philippians 4.4 rejoice in the Lord every once in a while. Now, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That, that's an imperative statement in the Greek. I'll get all grammatical on you. And An imperative is an emphatic statement. It's a command, as strong a command as they come. God is saying, you be filled with joy with a big exclamation point at the end. Now, we don't often think, of joy as a command, do we? We think of joy as some optional emotion that may or may not accompany the larger issue of obedience. But could it be we have it all wrong? Like Maybe the attitude of our heart is vital. Like, is God really honored by children who begrudgingly obey him? And how will the world be drawn to God if his own children have little joy in following him? Like, Do I truly honor my wife when when I take out the trash with a bad attitude or I do the dishes and I'm really, I make it clear I'm not happy about this, okay? Not that that's ever happened, okay? Just hypothetically speaking. Now, I might be helping my wife in that situation, certainly not honoring her because my attitude is so poor. And neither is God honored and glorified when we go through life following His will simply because... We have to. And by the way, God doesn't need our help, does He? No, he desires our praise. He desires our love. He desires our hearts to be filled with joy toward Him. And I believe nothing brings God greater glory than when His children delighted Him, serve Him with joy. Which brings me to my final point. Here we go. Taking pleasure in God is commanded, and it gives Him the most glory. Folks, obedience to God is important. Like he still expects you to follow his commands whether you feel like it or not. Don't misread me on this one. But I would say that God is just as concerned with our attitude as he is with our actions. Let's go back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28. Very interesting passage here. Because God commanded the Israelites to be joyful. He said this, Because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly, you will serve your enemies. Did you catch that? God was not coming down on the Israelites simply for a failure to serve Him, but for a lack of joy and gladness in their hearts. Question, why is God so concerned about our joy that he commands it? I'll tell you why. It's simple, because an individual has already made a God out of whatever they enjoy the most. And so God calls us to take the most pleasure in Him because He alone is worthy of that. And let's face it, when we truly delight in God, then obedience will just come as a natural overflow of our hearts. That's why the Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. See, God wants us to enjoy Him now and and forever. That's the chief end of man. Psalm 37.4. I like this. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. And when you delight yourself in God, you know what will happen? Others will see that internal joy and peace and satisfaction and give glory to God for your life. Like Jesus said, you'll become salt and light to the world around you. You see, there's no contradiction between delight and duty. To delight is our duty. God doesn't view the condition of your heart as optional icing on the cake of obedience. Over in Romans 12, 11, we're commanded as Christians to be full of zeal and fervency. 1 Peter 1.22 tells us to love one another earnestly from the heart. In Hebrews 13, 17, we're told that leaders are to work, how? With joy. In Romans 12, 8, we're instructed to be cheerful. Over and over and over again, the Bible talks about the attitude of our hearts. Now, let me address an aspect of joy some of you may be pondering right now. I get it. You may be out here this morning, you may be thinking, but Brian, so much of life, honestly, it's, it's filled with sorrow filled with heartache, there's pain, there's struggles. Like, what do we do in those times? The times when we simply have to endure life. 1 Peter 4.13 says, Rejoice. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Tough to swallow, I get it. But in one sentence about suffering, you've got two words about joy. Rejoice be overjoyed. Romans 5 says that we should rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts. So what is it we're taking pleasure in when we're going through hard times? According to this verse, it's the fact that we have hope because of God's love for us. So as we close here, let me give you three quick reasons you can remain joyful in the midst of suffering. The supporting verses are on your outline. We're going to fly through these. First of all, it's simply this, because God is with you. Hebrews 13, 5, Psalm 16, 11. Second, because God has a plan for your life, and He can take even the cruddy things in your life and somehow work them together for good. Romans eight twenty eight. And then finally, it's because God promises to help us in those tough times. God draws very near to us when we suffer. And I think it's in those moments that we realize our ultimate reward is just being near to Him. People, nothing brings God greater glory than when His children delight in Him. Delight in His goodness, His blessings, His commands, His very being. God loves a cheerful Christian. And He wants you to richly enjoy life by richly enjoying Him, doing life with God. That's what we say around here. And every one of us, honestly, if we look deep inside, we pursue that, which we believe is going to bring us the greatest good, the most delight, joy, satisfaction in the long run. God wired us that way. So don't settle for the mud pies that this world has to offer. Don't settle. The deepest and most enduring joy is found only in God. Not from God, but in God. And when we find pleasure in Him, you know what happens? We are most satisfied and He is most glorified. Let's pray. Lord, it's fascinating to open up Your Word and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about how you created us and what's going on in our hearts, even the deeper things that we don't fully understand sometimes. God, you created us to seek that which is best. But we're not going to find that in the cheap imitations of this world. So God, help us to look for you and to you and find you and find our joy and our peace, and our satisfaction in life from the only one who can satisfy that emptiness, that longing inside of us. And God, when we delight in you, then all of a sudden we can delight in all the good gifts from your hand. Lord, change our hearts, change our minds. Help us to fix our eyes, our focus on you and you alone. And in our pursuit of joy and peace and pleasure, that you will be sufficient for us. So we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. Thank you for the, the amazing things that you're going to teach us about the concept of rewards and how you wired us in the coming weeks. It's In Jesus' name we pray.